Hello and welcome to the March edition of The Jewish Views. I'm Phil Dave. I'm Kate Fulton and I'm going to be talking to Rachel Grunwald, who is the Director of Programming here at JW3, who's going to give us a fabulous rundown, I hope, of what's going on this March at JW3. And I'm Clive Roslin, and I'll be talking to Tony Sloman, a cineast who's worked in the industry on numerous well-known productions, and he'll be talking to me about Kirk Douglas, who died aged 103 in February. And I'm Tony Honigberg, and I will be talking to Neil Taylor, who is the chief executive of Langdon, about the Love Langdon, which was their annual fundraiser. And our rabbinic thought for the month comes from Rabbi Harvey Belofsky from Golders Green United Synagogue. But before all that, with a roundup of the main Jewish news stories from the past months, I'm Vivian Krieger. In Belgium, an annual parade taking place in the city of Aalst mocked ultra-Orthodox Jews. Participants wore dark suits, which partly depicted them as ants, and put on hooked noses. Anti-Semitic imagery often associates Jews with vermin. Aalst, which is 10 miles from Brussels, was also criticised last year over anti-Semitic themes at the festival. But locals claimed this year they were doing the same again because they weren't going to stop making fun of everyone. The Labour leadership candidate Lisa Nandy has endorsed a series of pledges issued by the Palestine Solidarity Campaign on the Israel-Palestine conflict, including the right of return for refugees to those places they left during the 1948 and 1967 wars. Critics say it undermines the two-state solution. The Jewish Labour movement has nominated Miss Nandy to be party leader, who also says she's campaigned against British business profiting from the occupied Palestinian territories and supports any embargo on arms deals which violates human rights. The Jewish Chronicle and the Jewish News have announced plans to merge, claiming it will create one of the world's leading community media brands. If all is agreed between the two papers' owners, then they'll unite under a charitable trust, which will hopefully secure the financial future for both and transform them into a modern print, digital and events brand, albeit under one editorial and commercial team. The two papers' readership covers well over half of the UK's Jewish community. Talk Radio has been fined £75,000 by media regulator Ofcom over ex-presenter George Galloway's show, including his dismissals of alleged anti-Semitism in the Labour Party. The former MP mainly read out only supportive text messages from listeners. One listener who tried to give the opposite view was labelled an ignorant moron by Galloway because of spelling mistakes in his text. Ofcom ruled that Talk Radio had failed to preserve impartiality on a matter of major political controversy. Gilad Shalit, the Israeli soldier who was held prisoner by the terrorist group Hamas in Gaza for five years, is engaged. His girlfriend, Nitzan Shabbat, showed off her diamond engagement ring in a photo of the couple, which was posted on Instagram. Shalit, who's 33, was captured in 2006 and released in 2011 in a controversial exchange for more than a 1,000 Palestinian prisoners. And finally, Larry Tesla, the computer scientist who made using computers easier for generations of users and created cut, copy and paste, has died at the age of 74. Mr. Tesla was hired by Steve Jobs to work at Apple, where he rose through the ranks to become chief scientist 17 years later. He died at his home in Palo Alto, California. You're listening to The Jewish Views, an association with JW3. Now, as you know, we can only cover a smidgen of what our wonderful hosts here at JW3 offer the community on a monthly basis. So it's only right that we dig a little deeper sometimes. And this time we're going to find out what March has in store for us with Director of Programming Rachel Grimwald. 
Thank you. Thanks for coming. Thank you very much for having me. Before we talk about what's on, what, what is the Director of Programming? What's your role? That's a very good question because it's not a role that exists in many places in the world. It will exist in other cultural and community centres. It will exist in some art centres and some theatres. But really, programming is engaging an audience for a purpose. So we put on events, but really it's about making relationships with our audiences and encouraging our audiences to make relationships with each other for a purpose. And the purpose at JW3 is our charitable objectives. We aim to engage an increasing range and number of Jewish people in positive Jewish experiences and expressions of Jewish life. And today we're in the lounge at JW3. I can look around, you can't at home, sorry. But we've got a beautiful installation of an enchanted forest and that was a group of volunteer artists who were inspired by Tubishvat. So when people come into JW3 at the moment, they can be delighted, they can be surprised, and they can engage with a festival in a new and playful way. So that's one of our aims. We aim to unite people across different thresholds within the Jewish community. We're a cross-denominational organisation, and we're hoping to bring people together where they can feel safe and not pigeonholed and build relationships that they might not otherwise be able to in the community. We aim to do the same with Jews and non-Jews and we aim to do all of that whilst making ourselves sustainable for the future. Wow, so big, that's a big aim. Yeah. And of course across all ages because this looks, and it's enchanting as you say, but looking around, there are children. Yeah, where we're sitting there are little, little children around and there are their grandparents. Yeah, and absolutely. So during the daytime at JW3 we have programmes for parents parents and carers with their babies we have preschool classes when the school day finishes we have after school classes and at the same time we have classes for adults all day long that's education history jewish education politics we have language classes morning evening and night and that's in addition to the sort of extra special cultural stuff we do the talks the music the celebrations the parties wow that really is amazing but let's 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 just turn to march because yep. we did say that we would what can't really ask you to ask what stands out because that wouldn't be fair on the on, on everything else start where you want draw draw attention to a few things Sure. Well, March in the Jewish calendar kicks off with Purim. And on Sunday the 8th of March, we have our party on Purim. And that's a big family celebration for people with children aged 2 to 8. On the 9th of March, we have a play reading, the first ever reading of this new play uh, based on the novel My Name is Asher Lev by Chaim Potok. Oh, wow. And that's Erev Purim. So for people who don't want to be celebrating Purim at Shul with a Megillah reading, you can still come and engage and do something Jewish. On Thursday the 12th... Can I just ask you, is a play reading like a play? Just people who don't know what a play reading is as Oh, yeah, that's a very a good question. Thank you. So a play reading is not a full production. When you watch a play reading, what you're watching will be actors, brilliant actors. In this case, one of them is Ilan Goodman, Henry Goodman's son. He's a brilliant actor in his own right. They will be performing a new play with the script in hand, and they're doing it really to test out how it works. It's hugely important for the writers who will watch the audience response. And at JW3, after a play reading, we always ask the audience's response. So the audience becomes part of putting the play on the next step of its journey. And that's quite exciting for people who might go to fully-fledged plays but not really see the creative process. And also part of your, you were saying before, about the cohesion of the community and bringing everybody to sort of have an active part. That's wonderful. Absolutely, and the active part is key because if you go to a a fully-fledged play, you watch it, you enjoy it, it, you leave, you don't have that chance to make those connections and to ask somebody next to you what they what thought. What do you think? Yeah. You talk to your neighbour. Exactly. Lovely. That's when Lovely. the relationships are formed. And, and elsewhere? Else- on a- 
Well, you were asking about all different ages. Yes. We do a lot of intergenerational things, and one of the most meaningful intergenerational things we do annually is a brunch for Holocaust survivors and young people in their 20s and 30s. So that's Sunday the 15th of March for people in their 20s and 30s. It's a brunch here, and you'd sit on a table with a Holocaust survivor who will be able to tell you their story. And, of course, unfortunately, we won't be able to run this with the survivors themselves for many more years. So if there's anybody listening who's interested, please do get in touch with the box office, book a ticket for that. March is actually (laughs) amazingly busy. I couldn't believe it when I took the run-through of this. On Monday the 16th of March, we have the Wingate Literary Prize event, and that's when the winner of the Wingate Literary Prize will be announced. On Tuesday the 17th of March, we have quite a big event for us, which is we will be hosting Sarah Hurwitz, who is the Obama's former chief speechwriter. She was a senior speechwriter to President Obama and the chief speechwriter to Lady Michelle Obama, including a lot of work she was doing for young women. She has written a book called Here All Along about her return to Judaism and her new understanding of Judaism's contemporary relevance. And she'll be here in conversation on Tuesday the 17th of March. Sounds wonderful. So you've got the conversation about her Judaism and about her politics and about her well, relationship with the, with the Obamas, presumably. Yeah, and that's kindly supported by Genesis Philanthropy Group, who are our partners in the work that we do for people from diaspora communities especially. This one is about the best of global Jewish conversations, but we run with them programs for Russian families and for French families so that JW3 can be a home from home. And uh, we have, on Sunday the 1st of March, a Purim Bake Off for French families and a Russian family fun day. <laughs> Gosh, it's a sort of competitive hamantash and baking or something. It's called Bake Off, which is a misleading title, but actually it's just they come together, they bake hamantash, and they have a session in French, and they can take some home, and some of the hamantash will be sold here with the proceeds given to a local homeless charity. Lovely. What, what do you find are the most popular? What do people sort of tend to gravitate towards? Our daytime education classes are extremely popular, especially on a Thursday. We could have 110 students Gosh. listening to the history of the Baltic region, for we example. Sounds quite specific, doesn't it? I mean, but we you have know, people who've been here years, years, year in, year out, and they'll listen to politics of Paris in the 19th century. There's a real appetite, as we know, within the community for learning. So that's always popular. Music is very popular here, especially jazz. Yes, because you had Jeremy months. Sassoon yes, a few weeks ago. Yes, we had Jeremy ago. Sassoon, yeah. we had Jay Rayner, and we're trying and to Ray. book these amazing people to come back. And we yes. had Alish, Alan Dane doing Yiddish jazz with the Petticoat Lane Foxtrot. So I'd say music is extremely popular, yes. and the education is very popular. And our family celebrations are very popular. So the party on Purim will probably sell out at 250 or 350 people. Gosh. We also have, in March, a new series that we've only had a couple of events in and that's a new series of conversation and performance with greats from the world of musical theatre. We started off in January with Maria Friedman who was amazing. How does that work? We have a fantastic producer with a little black book of people he's worked with he opens it and he invites people to come and be in conversation with him or with other impressive people and in between the conversation we have performances of their work so Maria performed some of her own songs so she stops in the bit of the conversation she stopped and then she went and she sang and that was in January in February we had Stephen Schwartz who's the composer of uh, Prince of Egypt which is currently previewing in the yes. West End after yes. winning an Oscar for the animated version and he performed 
There Can Be Miracles When You Believe at the piano. And then he performed a brand new song from Prince of Egypt, which wasn't in the animated picture. So people at JW3 were hearing it for the very first time from him. And I have to say there were a lot of wet eyes in the house with people for whom it meant a lot. And on the... 24th of March, that's Tuesday, we have Claude Michel Schoenberg, who's the composer behind Les Mis and Miss Saigon. Gosh, so it really is a full, a full package there. Wow, and most of the time, just so that we know to, to buy tickets, you normally do that online or through the box office? Yes, you can ring office. the box office or www.jw3.org.uk. Rachel, thank you very much. You're listening to The Jewish Views in association with JW3. Earlier this year, we lost one of the last stars in the golden era of Hollywood. Kirk Douglas died on the 5th of February, aged 103. He was born in New York to Jewish immigrants in 1916. His career spanned a total of seven decades, but he's probably best known for his role in Spartacus. Well, let's find out more about the life and work of a truly remarkable man. And joining us now is Tony Sloman, a cineast who has worked in the industry himself on numerous well-known productions. In fact, a a very well-known man indeed, having worked in the film industry in such productions as the Lawrence of the Vio Othello, plus Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, and the TV cult favourite series The Prisoner, amongst many others. Tony Sermon, it's great to meet you. Good to be here. And Kirk Douglas was the most extraordinary man. Well, that's an an understatement for a start. Well, exactly. But he was born of of Jewish immigrants. Yeah, he was was born, his real name, he was born Issa Danilovich in 1916 in Amsterdam in New York. And he was the son of Brunner, who was called Bertha, and Herschel, who was called Harry Danilovich. And they spoke Yiddish at home. They were Jewish immigrants from uh, part of the Russian Empire that's now Belarus. And his father's brother immigrated earlier than Kirk's family, and he used the surname Dembski, which his parents also adopted. So, so Kirk was known as Isur Danilovich Dembski. Is he the son of Daniel Dembski? And he legally changed his name to Kirk Douglas before he entered the, the Navy during World War Two, And when he was in the Navy, was he, was he thinking about acting then, or, or was that something that happened much later on? Well, he discovered acting when he, when he, when he was quite young. Let's, let's just contextualise for a bit. He grew up absolutely impoverished. He had six sisters, and he sold snacks to workers to make enough money to buy milk and bread and help his family, delivered newspapers... He more, had more than about 40 jobs before he became an actor. Wow. And he discovered acting when he was very, very young. And by high school time, he knew that he wanted to be a professional actor, which, of course, wasn't easy with that background. Indeed. And did the family approve of him being an actor? The family didn't care. His father used to come home. His father was a rag-and-bone man, hence Douglas's biography, which is called The Ragman's Son. He used to go to the bar and he used to drink his way into oblivion. So so Kirk was on his own. He did all these jobs, but he knew what he wanted, and acting was kind of unusual. He managed to talk his way into the dean's office at St. Lawrence University, and he couldn't afford college tuition. And he showed the dean a list of his high school accomplishments, and he was given a loan 
to pay tuition, which he paid back by working as a gardener and a janitor part-time whilst, whilst he was in college. And the closest he got to acting, he, he joined the college wrestling team. And one summer he wrestled in a, in a carnival to make money and he graduated in '39, where he was noticed by the American Academy of Dramatic Arts in New York. And, and, that was, and it was so poor, happened. yeah, they awarded him a special scholarship to, to, to attend. Uh, but then, of course, war broke out and he joined the Navy in 1941. And, and so it was after the war that he became the famous film star. Yes, yes, very much so. But um, it was also, of course, during that time that he must have once, once read that he gave up Judaism virtually until he was much, much older. Well, he didn't give up Judaism as such, but, you know, it wasn't easy being Jewish ever, one could argue. And when he returned to, to New York after the war, he, he, he managed to get work in radio and commercials and theatre. It's still Izzy Dembski. The radio work, less so than, or rather much more than it is today, was valuable to develop acting skill if you didn't have tutorship in, in using his voice. And he got a stage break when he took over from an actor who was later to become very well-known, a contemporary called Richard Widmark, in 1943's Kiss and Tell. And a mate of his from the Academy of Dramatic Arts, whose name was Yetta Persky, she later changed it to Lauren Bacall, recommended... Oh, indeed. Yeah, recommended Kirk... He wasn't yet Kirk, recommended Izzy, to producer Hal Wallace, who suggested he change his name, and he did officially change his name to Kirk... Douglas, That's, but, but he was is... always known as, as uh, Izzy Dembski. And uh, Hal Wallace cast him in, uh, in a film, 1946, The Strange Love of Martha Ivers, opposite Barbara Stanwyck. But it was, by the way, the first and last time he ever played a weak character in a film, because for, if there's anyone out there who doesn't know what Kirk looked like, he, it, he had the strongest features and, of course, a very famous famous dimple and then he became an international movie star in 1949 with with champion what was the film the that really made his name that made everybody know kirk douglas champion which he was a boxer he was nominated for his first academy award he never won by the way he was nominated for three academy awards as best actor and he he, he never won wallace cast him very well he he was cast initially with somebody who became a great friend of his and I've always thought an idol of his, if that's possible for an idol to have an idol, Burt Lancaster, in a film called I Walk Alone. They did four films together eventually, one of which was directed by John Frankenheimer, who actually said, Kirk wanted to be Burt Lancaster all his life. <laughs> remember, if you remember Burt and Kirk, they, they bestrode the post-war cinematic world like colossi. I, I first saw... Kirk in Along the Great Divide and people who are listening will probably remember the cinema in Garren's Bakery in Southend-on-Sea and that's where, I, where I, saw, I saw Along the Great Divide and I thought who is this guy? It was a black and white western, I didn't know what it was about, I was too young <laughs> to understand an A-certificate film but Kirk carved his way more or less single-handedly as a leading man, he was quintessential leading man, unlike Lancaster who was very tall, Kirk was you look him up, they say he was 5'10 and a half. He was 5'8. I had the privilege of meeting him once at the National Film Theatre. That's quite tall, 5'8. It doesn't photograph 5'8 on the screen, it photographs 6 foot. Yes, I, well, he certainly um, does. And, 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 you know, as I say, John Frankenheimer pointed out that Kirk wanted to be Burt Lancaster all his life. He wanted to be tall, <laughs> gentile and smiling. But Kirk had something nobody else had. He had an 
intensity which photographed you could you could feel his, his anguish which is why probably people thought he was a bit like that in real life and believe me he was a bit like that in real life he wasn't he was yes absolutely oh uh, he was very very difficult very intense intense man and generally regarded as as hard to work with i have a, a little story i could tell you about spartacus well go on which, yes which, um, which Kirk produced and, of course, starred in. I worked with an editor, Robert Lawrence, a very distinguished editor, Bob Lawrence, on a, on a film in England, and Bob happened to be the editor of Spartacus. And he told me a story about editing Spartacus, which I think reflects well on the type of person Kirk was, although he, he was the star and producer. The scene at the end of Spartacus, where Kirk in the title role is dying on a cross... Bob thought it would be better to keep the hold on Gene Simmons playing Spartacus's wife. And the director, who was a young man called Stanley Kubrick, agreed that it would play better on, on Gene holding up the baby to the dying Spartacus. And then they showed this particular edit to the star and producer, Kirk Douglas, who watched it, and I'm not going to swear on air, <laughs> and he said, who's idea was that playing it on Gene and not me <laughs> and Stanley Kubrick immediately pointed to Bob Lawrence the editor and said it's Bob's idea where of course it was Stanley's Kirk said nothing he, they were on, sitting on folding chairs Kirk picked up the folding chair he was sitting on and threw it at Bob Lawrence the editor the, the scene eventually became the scene that we know where it features Spartacus Bob, Bob actually told me he thought Kirk was grimacing too much but Kirk always grimaced and, and I'd just like to point out another side of him that, that, that shows the difference between somebody who'll throw a chair at an editor <laughs> because just to indicate his other side he is producer he'd done parts of glory for the young Stanley Kubrick and he was producing Spartacus but he took off the director he hired Anthony Mann and replaced him with the young newcomer Stanley Kubrick because they'd just done parts of glory together but he promised Tony Mann that if he ever needed Kirk, ever, to get a picture made, just, just call him and he'd come running. And that actually happened. And so Kirk did the Heroes of Telemark to honour his words to Anthony Mann. What Amazing. A, what, what a mensch, eh? What a story. I, I, I wish I could go on talking to you for the rest of today because I find it all fascinating, but unfortunately time is against us. But could I just ask you one last question of about course. the fact that I read somewhere that his Jewishness returned towards the end of his yeah. life. He had a, um, a terrible accident, a plane crash, in which a couple of people died. He, he was rendered immobile, and he more or less lost the power of speech as, as well. And yes, his, his Jewishness, quite literally, as you put it, returned. His, his, his Yiddishkeit came, came back. And he did... He did wonderful, wonderful things, great charitable deeds. He, he, he gave away tens of millions of dollars and founded the, the Douglas Foundation. And, and, the, and in the last few years of his life, they gave away over 50 million to support various charities like the Children's Hospital in, in Los Angeles and an estimated 40 million to Harris Haven, an Alzheimer's facility in the L.A. suburbs. He had a second... Mitzvah, <laughs> and on his own 99th birthday, he established the Kirk Douglas Care Pavilion, 
he was very from at the, the end of his oh, life. Was he really? And he did a, a one-man show in which he g- explained this, which, which you, can, you can get. It is available on DVD. Oh, Tony Sermon, that's fascinating stuff. Thank you so much You're for very welcome. about him. Thank you. You're listening to The Jewish Views in association with JW3. On Sunday the 16th of February, Langdon held its annual community fundraising event, Love Langdon. It was attended by hundreds at Orenwood Nursery Synagogue and features live performances from none other than the Zemel Choir. It certainly paid off as they raised a considerable sum of money as well. To tell us more about it, we can now speak to the Chief Executive of Langdon, Neil Taylor. Before we talk about the function that you had put on, can you tell our listeners what Langdon does? Okay. Well, Langdon has existed since 1992 and is an organisation that provides support and care to young people and adults with learning disabilities and autistic spectrum disorders. And does Langdon try and give them independent living or something like that? The focus of all our activity is to promote the members' ability to live independently, and that's why a big focus of our activity is finding employment and supporting our members in jobs and to be successful in that way. Right. And where do they have their, where are your properties where they live? We have about 64 properties under management across Edgware, Bournewood and North Manchester. And we house about 100 young adults in those three communities. And and do you have, I'm not going to say carers, but but people on site that that are yeah. available 24-7. So, so each, each, the criteria for each member being a part of the Langdon community is, is that they need a level of support and depending on the nature of their disability, they will receive appropriate levels of support in terms of the hours that they need each week and that can range from five hours a week to 24-7. What about the age range of the people that, that you look after? Well, the age range is actually from 12 to 55 because we have a youth provision of 44 young people from the age of 12 to 19. And, um, uh, presumably the young ones aren't living independently, they're still in, living at home, but coming on day-to-day basis. They will be living at home, attending youth club activities, holiday schemes throughout the year. We have a college for another 30 Young adults, age range 16 to 25, effectively further education opportunity for them. And then the adults living in our care range from 20 plus to our oldest member now is 55 years old. Tell me about the, this function that you had. Well, it, use this, this money? It was, well, we raised £1,800, which was fantastic. It started with the Zemel Choir offering a free concert to Langdon to do on our behalf as a fundraising event. Mm-hmm. But that provided us with an opportunity to create a moment for the Langdon Singing Group to join them in performing on the afternoon. And I read about that in your press release, the singing group, yes. And they, they sang their own songs, and then right at the end, they sang with the Zemel Choir. 
How did it go down? Oh, it was fantastic. Had, had they Absolutely. rehearsed with the Zemmel Choir? They had rehearsed. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. They, they, de- <laughs> they definitely <laughs> had rehearsed. <laughs> and it looked like it, they had rehearsed. It was, uh, it was a great it was a great, great performance. professional performance. It was a very good performance. And the reason why we raise money, but, but actually equally important, is that it provides an opportunity for our members to demonstrate their skills and their talents mm. in a professional way within the community and beyond the, their own community. And the impact of, of that on their own self-esteem is immeasurable. And you, you speak to, I've spoken to the members since then, and they're all on a real high. Because to, to be able to perform to a very large audience in that way with, with such a prestigious choir right, absolutely. does wonders for your for your. I mean, I mean, I mean, I guess they still get the butterflies in the stomach. But sometimes, of you know, being in the, in, in the media business, that sometimes gives you a better performance. Indeed. You're slightly keyed up, and you, you do something that's superb that you may not do normally. Absolutely, and and I think for some of the members, I mean, the, the range of disabilities of our members is quite wide. Mm. You know, some have you know very clear and good communication skills. Some are more challenged in that way. Different levels of confidence across you know across yes. the members of of the singing group, and so. It's a real achievement for for many of the members to do so. And, and as it happens on the night, we had uh, an offer of another gig for another shawl, which we hope to make happen. Who actually organised this within your... Within language? Oh, it's a team effort. It involves our fundraising team and, and in particular, Sonia Muscovich, who, who is responsible for some of our programming and most significantly our youth work but Sonia has a very long career in community activity she works with the singing group on a regular basis going forward is there any reason why you don't do this on a regular basis there's absolutely no reason why and we would welcome invitations from across the community to to perform because every opportunity is an exciting one and, and provides us with the opportunity to give Langdon a profile in the yes. community that, that, that we wish to build. Because it's not as well known as some of the other larger charities. In, of indeed. Course, everybody, I'm going to throw one in here, but any time you say something, everybody thinks of Jewish care. Yeah, indeed. That's the first thing that comes to everybody's mind. Indeed. Or Langdon seems to be something. Now, with your fundraising, obviously you did this, but how else do you raise your funds? Well, primarily, well, a number of sources. We have our main fundraising dinner on the 18th of May, okay. which is our, just like every other charity, is the means by which we bring in uh, a considerable mm. amount of money into the organisation. We're clearly focused on generating income from trust funds. Um, we have a number of trust funds who are regular supporters of the organisation. We work hard to attract individual donors to the organisation. I think the, the main challenge for Langdon is for us to to believe that we can generate more income from our community for the work that we do because increasingly the income from the state primarily the funding we get 
from in terms of social mm. care is as everyone knows is is significantly challenged yeah. and for every hour that we deliver it costs us three pound more than the income that we receive which be- then becomes an even more important aspect of our work to fundraise within the community now, if someone wants to get in touch with you, either wants to donate or well, maybe you need volunteers, how would they get in touch with you? What's the best way? Well, they can contact me directly as the chief exec. My email address is neiltaylor at langdonuk.org. We are looking at especially to recruit more volunteers. I think that it's one of the uh, elements of Langdon's work that is underdeveloped. Uh, we have a really good core group of volunteers, and many of whom are who act as buddies who work with our members on an individual basis, and that's really important. But I believe that we could do so much more for our members across London and Manchester if we could exponentially increase our volunteer workforce. So contact you, or you've got a website as well. Then, and we right? have a website, yes. Which is LangdonUK.org. It is. Excellent. Okay. Neil, thank you very much for taking time to talk to us. You're welcome, Tony. And it's been a pleasure to, to talk to you from me. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's now time for our rabbinic thought for the month, and this month it comes from Rabbi Harvey Belofsky from Golders Green United Synagogue. Purim is one of the oddest but most wonderful experiences of the Jewish year. It seems to be filled with contradictions. It's a serious day, a serious story. The Book of Esther, which recalls that in the ancient Jewish world, there was a genuine existential threat to the Jewish people. On the other hand, many people, including me, read the Megillah as a bit of a spoof. We dress up, we do silly things, there's a bit of alcohol involved. It doesn't seem to quite work the two things go together serious themes but with a sort of silly preparation and a silly observance i think the reason purim has developed like this is because those contradictory themes express the way we feel about the day it is in fact a time of celebration a bit of a jewish mufti day in the cycle of months which begin with pesach the first month this is the 12th month it's kind of the end of the year But it's also giving us an opportunity to think quite seriously about what it means to be Jewish and to engage with important Jewish themes. One of the great thinkers a very long time ago exploring the Megillah pointed out that almost everything about the Megillah is about piecing things together. The word Purim is actually a Persian word for lots because Haman, the baddie in the story, casts lots to decide when to kill the Jewish people. But the Maharal of Prague, writing in the 16th century, says it really relates to the Hebrew word which means crumbs, little bits and pieces that you stick together. The name of God does not appear in the Megillah, but you can piece the story together to see the divine behind the scenes. And not only that, the observances of Purim, which bring people together, encourage them to give food gifts, to deal with inequities in society by giving out money, and also by having a feast, which perhaps we drink a little more than usual, and we all come together in a kind of rowdy celebration, all about bringing people together where sometimes we feel divided. That sense of togetherness allows for a little levity, even while we celebrate some of the most important existential themes of Jewish history, which unfortunately continue to repeat themselves. 
Thank you very much to Rabbi Harvey Belofsky from Golders Green United Synagogue with our rabbinic thought for the month. And that's it for this episode of The Jewish Views. Thank you very much to all of our guests, to Rachel Grunwald from JW3 telling us about some of the fantastic events coming up here within the next month, as well as to Tony Sloman, who was telling us about the life of Kirk Douglas. And we mustn't forget thank you to Neil Taylor talking about Love Langdon. And, of course, we need to thank our producer, Sue Greenberg, who, as ever, works tirelessly putting this program together. And thank you to you at home for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to us in your podcast application. You can always listen to this episode or, indeed, any previous episode of The Jewish Views by visiting our website, jewishviews.co.uk. The Jewish Views is brought to you in association with JW3, but from me, Phil Dave. From me, Tony Honigberg. From me, Kate Fulton. And from me, Clive Roslin. Do join us next month here on The Jewish Views. Goodbye.